is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports Station. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, we've been taking a look at some different prospects out there, Dave. Just trying to see some faces, some names that may fit with Seattle. May not. We'll see. And the smartest people that we can talk to are the radio guys. The guys that call the game. I know that personally, Bob. That's right, because you see every moment (laughs) of these players' career. That's why we bring in somebody of the caliber, the stature of Paul Leffler, the voice of Fresno State, who is with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. How are you, Paul? Hey, fantastic, guys. It's a blue sky, sunshine day here in the great San Joaquin Valley, so I cannot complain. Uh, sounds much nicer than it is here currently, so uh, enjoy that. Uh, hey, we wanted to ask you about a, a couple of players that you've got familiarity with. One that's got local ties out here, and Jake Hayner, who was the MVP of the Senior Bowl. Uh, not sure, you know, he's he's obviously not li- in the conversation with you know C.J. Stroud and 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 Will Levis and all of those quarterbacks, but he feels like he's kind of in that next group. But put on a show over the weekend, what? What's your take on him? You had a chance to watch him and, and see what he does well, what he doesn't do well. Give us your scouting report on him. Yeah, I was actually with Jake just a couple hours ago. He came back through town and talked to the local media. And I'm just so excited for him and, you know, the journey that he's been on. What a, a incredible roller coaster it was this year to have his ankle broken at USC. Think he's going to be out for the year. And a month and a half later, you know, he comes back, leaves this miraculous comeback against San Diego State, and they don't lose the rest of the year. You know, won 10 games, first team ever to start one and four and end up winning 10 games. And he was a huge part of that. So I, I think that points to his determination. Because the first medical opinion he got was, you're done. You're not going to play again this year. And, you know, he kept believing and he found a way and he worked his tail off to get back on the field. And we saw the effect that had on his teammates. And he's a different player today because of what he went through. And that's one of the things he shared today was, you know, that injury, as devastating as it was, was really a blessing for him. It gave him time away. You know, he valued the opportunity more. He also got to spend more time with Jeff Tedford, the head coach, and Kirby Moore, the coordinator, and really understand their mentality for how to attack defenses. He's grown a lot. And when it comes to his skill set, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's not the strongest or the fastest. But, man, can he put the ball on the money. I mean, his accuracy is next level. There have been some great quarterbacks at Fresno State over years. Trent Dilfer, the Carr brothers, Billy Volek had a good run in the NFL. No one's ever been close to as accurate as Jake Hayner. He broke the school record for completion percentage by a wide margin. And, you know, there's not a throw that he can't make going to his left, going to his right. He's really worked on his craft. And and he's got some arm strength for a guy who's as, you know, relatively small as he is. He can really get some zip on it, too. And he's extremely dedicated and driven. So I know that's going to serve him well. Yeah, and Paul, the other thing, I've been down to uh, the Senior Bowl before, and it's uh, a lot of it is the the time during the week, you know, that they that they really look at. Like, I know a lot of the, the scouts and coaches will, will leave for the game and just watch it on TV, but how did uh, how did that go for Jake? Because I know that's, uh, that's a big deal when they have a good practice at the Senior Bowl. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because he was talking about that today. He was the MVP of the game, of course, but he was saying the game was the least consequential part of the whole deal. Yeah. It was the practices and being able to impress the coaches there and then all the interviews with the front office guys from the NFL. And, you know, really one of the things we talked about was just being himself and letting them see who he is and how he's wired and how much he really wants to be great 
at what he does. And I'm sure that was caught. I'm sure that was read. I'm sure that was received by those NFL bigwigs talking to him. And that's, I mean, everywhere you look right now, that's the story. The buzz is Jake Hayner really improved his stock. Now he still has a few hurdles to clear before the draft, but at this point it looks like he would go a lot higher than he would have, say, a month ago. It's interesting because he's not a big guy. I mean, he's listed, I'm looking at his listing, 6'1", 200 pounds. So he's he's certainly not a big guy. Is he... What what is it you think would hold him back? Is it his size? Is there you, you know? Give me a sense of his arm strength or what he what he does well or what you think may be an impediment. Yeah, you know the size is what people are going to talk about, and he did. You know, he added about fifteen pounds of muscle from his you know last year to this year, and he did that through diet. You know, he was real intentional about what he ate, and still is. So he was able to get a little stronger in theory, be able to take more of a beating, but he's not going to grow any taller. And six one is probably generous. Uh, maybe a, a different haircut might get him there. But, you know, it's, it's so much of it is just between the years. It's the ability to read a defense, make a check at the line, and then actually deliver that football. And his arm strength is significant. You know, when, when he was out, we were messing around. We've got a guy that works sideline for us on our broadcast who played six years in the NFL named Cam Worrell. And, and he and I go down on the field beforehand wherever we are, and we play catch, and we might stretch it out to – you know, 50, 55, 60 yards max, and then we're feeling it for a week. But Hayner was down there in a boot in this trip to New Mexico. You've got altitude on your side. We're thinking we're good. We can throw it a long way. And he goes off one foot in a boot and throws it about 15 yards further and more accurate. And so, you know, that was just a a demonstration against some average Joe of how extreme his arm talent is. But he really works at it. Like I said, he can zip it into tight windows. He can put a little touch on it. The RPMs on his ball are definitely noticeable compared to others. You'll see how tight that rotation is. And and once again, the accuracy is off the charts. I think what held him back earlier in his career was he wanted to do too much, and he was trying to squeeze it into too tight of windows and taking chances he didn't need to take that the defense wasn't giving him. So that's where he's really matured, his understanding of timing, of not going for it all at once all the time. And that word mature, I think, is one that we probably said a lot this year because you could really see it in his game. He grew up a lot. His perspective is different, and there's no question. He wants to be great, and I think he will be. It's a pretty proud program, man. Tell us about uh, – I know they have the, the V on their, their helmet, and it's it's for the Valley. But, you know, going back to before your time, Paul, I had Jethro Franklin was a, was a teammate of mine. But if you look at the players from the uh, that are in the NFL, some really good names. What's the sort of, uh, sort of profile on, uh, on the kids in the Valley down there? Yeah, it's a great question. That, that giant green V was the idea of Pat Hill, who was the coach here for 15 years after the great Jim Sweeney. Pat now does the radio with us as well, and he's a hoot. But that was really to signify, you know, this is a part of California a lot of people forget about. It's right. not L.A., it's not the Bay, it's not Sacramento, the state capital. It's it's the ag land. It's where we grow everything that everybody else eats. <laughs> and uh, so that green V has, has made a big impression, and it's worked into the mentality of the team. And, and Jethro Franklin was one of those guys who played as hard as anybody. He's actually back here as a defensive line coach, oh, nice. making a huge difference. Half the staff is guys who have played here or been here before as coaches who understand the role of the program. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the talent that's come through here, and it's always guys who are probably under-recruited. That's why they ended up here. Yep. But they had a chip on their shoulder, and they developed. So, you know, whether it's Lorenzo Neal, who might be the greatest fullback ever, or Henry Ellard, who was, you know, born here in Fresno, grew up here, went on to be what should be a Hall of Famer someday. You know, Devontae Adams was more of a basketball guy in high school, but Pat Hill saw the greatness in and brought him here. 
the Carr brothers, of course, have been pretty special. Trent Dilfer was actually recruited here as a defensive end and turned into a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Pretty much all the stories have that same kind of arc where somebody didn't see the greatness in somebody, but Fresno State gave them the canvas on which to create that masterpiece. And, and it just keeps happening. I mean, every sport, we've got somebody. Paul George in the NBA, eight-time All-Star. You know, Derek and Devontae in the NFL and a few more and quite a few major leaguers. I think eight guys in the big leagues this last year, including the best player in all of baseball, maybe ever in baseball, in Aaron Judge. So that's uh, something that this area is getting more and more known for, the humble hero who comes from – you know, those inauspicious beginnings and turns into one of the best competitors on the planet. Hey, you brought up Derek Carr, and he's interesting because, you know, he's in the news. It looks like he'll be moving on from the Raiders, and you had a chance to watch him at the college level. He's had a number of years at the pro level, certainly. Is is he about what you imagined at this level? Is he better? Is he not reached the potential? What What do you think of what you've seen of him at the pro level in, in relative to your expectations? Yeah, it's a great question, and I, I think the answer is a little bit nuanced because when he was coming out, there are a lot of doubters. There are a lot of people that you know viewed him in light of his brother's NFL career. David was the number one overall pick but went to an expansion team with no offensive line and, and got decimated, sacked 76 times his rookie year, which was an NFL record. And He hasn't been the same since. The same. <laughs> yeah, it never turned into who he could have been, right? But think of – all the value in those experiences for little brother being along for that ride, learning how to break down film and read defenses. And he's always been great between the years. He's always been one of those kind of leaders that brings out more in the team than you would see otherwise, because they're trying to live up to his standard. And I think we saw that with the Raiders, right? I think we saw them win a lot of games. They might not have otherwise won, but what was uncharacteristic, I think was later in this season, where he started making the kind of mistakes you just weren't used to seeing him make. And, and the one that stands out is that, you know, that last pass to Renfro that should have been a touchdown that turned into an interception. And that's kind of where his legacy lingers right now. But he broke every record the Raiders have. You know, he's incredible in the community. There are a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL who have charities or who try to do this and that. But with Derek, there's never a question of how authentic he is. When he talks about what his priorities are of God and family and then football, he lives it. He means it. And it shows up in unexpected ways all the time. And I think that's what whatever franchise gets him, if he ends up there in Seattle, um, I mean, that's what they're going to get. They're going to get a guy who is who he says he is, who's consistent day in, day out, who's very passionate about being special and is going to give back to the community and, and can throw a pretty good football, too. So yeah. uh, we'll see. It's going to be fun to watch. Well, Paul, do you have, uh, first of all, any idea uh, where you think Jake Hayner might get drafted? And then uh, maybe maybe tell us a little bit about some of the other uh, some of the other players that uh, that are prospects. Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, Jake, at the end of the year, the ceiling was probably third round. Uh, I think with what he's done with the senior bowl and we'll see how the combine goes, he could sneak his way up into the second round if there's a team that falls in love with him because he's got that competitive edge, right? A lot of people compare him to Drew Brees. The success that Brock Purdy had this year, I think, helps him because someone can visualize it now with a guy that size, as silly as that is, right? I mean, what does one guy have to do with another? But that size profile can get you, and I think that helps him. So I wouldn't be shocked if he climbs up into the second round, but probably more likely third or fourth, depending on how things go the next couple months. Other prospects on the team, they've got a couple great wide receivers coming out. Uh, Jalen Moreno Cropper was a local guy from here who turned down a lot of power five offers to be a bulldog. He's incredibly quick. He's gotten more physical. 
he competes for the ball in air and he really can make people miss great humble young man too and, and then nico remigio was a huge impact player on this team this year he played four years at cal came to fresno state as a grad transfer had a couple punt returns to the house he's not the fastest guy in straight line speed but he's shifty and he's really strong he's a great competitor and phenomenal hands not afraid to go across the middle and, and make those contested catches and take a shot and, you know, with what he brings to the table on special teams, I'm, I'm confident he'll have a chance to make an NFL roster. Two other guys I'll mention, uh, Jordan Mims, a tailback, who just had a great East-West Shrine game. He's a, a good blend of physicality and speed, really good hands coming out of the backfield and, and better in pass protection than a lot of college running backs are. Uh, he's got a vertical threat to his game, too, so I could see someone giving him a shot. And maybe the guy that I'm most intrigued by to watch at the next level and see what kind of opportunity he gets is a young man named uh, David Perales. He's from a little town called Merced, not far from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a Mexican-American family, uh, first guy in his family to go to college, plays his way into opportunities, and he has what, you know, scouts would call a motor. When he's coming off the edge, man, you better be on point as a blocker. He's getting to the quarterback. He's going to hit him. He's going to knock the ball loose. He's going to do something. And to me, in Fresno State season, where they started 1-4 and four and finished 10-4, and four, he was probably the MVP. He did as much to make that team successful as Hayner or Evan Williams or any of these other guys. And he's the kind of guy that you could see getting a shot at the NFL, becoming a fan favorite, and, and just being one of those, you know, those hardworking defensive linemen that, that maybe wasn't the hottest prospect, didn't have the body, didn't have the 40 time, but had the grit and the toughness and the desire to do it. I could see him being one of those guys. So a guy that is uh, the color analyst for San Jose State, I played with in college, Kevin Richardson, and he was from the Valley. He was from Shafter. Um, and I think we we had DJ Reed was here, and he, he grew up in Bakersfield. Just it, it, There's just kind of a, a sense of pride and just mostly, I would say, toughness. And it just it seems like that's what you get, and it's kind of a almost like a tradition there that you get kids that are just a little bit more gritty than, than other. You know, that's absolutely true, and that's what I think the smart coaches here recruit to. Right. Yeah. Kevin's from that, that city of Shafter, home of the generals who had a great high school season this year. Kevin's a great guy. And this whole area, you know, the Bakersfield area, Fresno, Clovis, Visalia, you go up to North Merced, Modesto, you know, from a culture standpoint, it's probably similar to the tri-cities on the other side of the state from you guys, you know, mm-hmm. ag land, weather's similar and, and the people, you know, the blue collar mentality, it's similar. And, and as much as, you know, the Huskies have that big dog look there in Seattle, I think they've got a little bit of that flavor with them too, with their coaching staff and, and coach DeBoer spent some years here. He's from that kind of background in the Dakotas, you know, he's a guy who's going to put his work in and trust his staff and his team. And I think we saw the impact of that this last year. And it's not just him. It's the other guys on his staff. I, I think they're a crew that, you know, it's not just a top down leadership. It's a, Hey, we're all in this together. I respect the rest of you. This is what we can do together if we all get on the same page. And and he's got a real gift for that. I'm looking forward to big things from the Huskies for a long time to come. Paul Leffler, the voice of Fresno State, has been our guest here with Wyman and Bob and Seattle Sports Station on 710. Paul, thanks so much for cutting out some time for us today. We really appreciate it. Anytime, boys. Take care. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. There you go again. Paul Leffler, he's the voice of Fresno State with some insight on Jake Hayner, a couple of other uh, potential draft prospects and you know, offering an opinion on 
what he calls maybe the greatest ever in Aaron Judge. I'm going to go ahead and just tap the brakes on that one. I like Aaron Judge, but whoa. Yeah, but if you're from the Valley, you got the pride going there. Maybe I mean, the greatest come out of there, but well, not, let's see not what in happens. The game of baseball. There's still time left for Aaron Judge. There is, but come on. Not better than Ken Griffey Jr.? No. Yeah. No. More not home quite. runs in a single season. I'll give him that. I'll give him that, but come on. You know, one's playing right field, the other's a center fielder for the for generations that's one of the greatest to ever patrol the outfield in addition to all of his offensive uh, exploits. Well, it's it's just funny to me that it, why I kind of hit on the whole the valley thing cuz there's just been so much pride and you know whenever you look at Fresno, you look at their helmets they on the back, they have a big green V representing, you know, everyone in the valley. He mentioned all those and one of them being Shafter, and that's where I was telling you uh when i was at stanford one of the linebackers that i roomed with kevin richardson he had like the big belt buckle oh, and the, right, the right, wrangler right. Yeah. jeans and the cowboy boots and and then the uh <laughs> the uh hat with the opposite of kyle shanahan you know how kyle shanahan's is like the, the flat, flat bill. bill his was like curved all the way down <laughs> like one of the smartest people i've ever met and you know you would look at him and go, "This guy's a hick, right?" Yeah, yeah, he's he's a genius, and uh, yeah, just really a lot of toughness there. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And he mentioned also, you know, the coaching staff up here that kind of have that that bit of grit. But uh, but Jay Kaner, I mean, does that kind of make you think? Hey, you know, let's say they sign Gino, and you know, everybody's happy. Maybe this guy's in the second, or maybe he drops to the third round or something, and. You know, that would be like a, a kind of a John Schneider special. Because, you know, look, if you draft, I mean, look, if you pick it, a, a guy in top five, well, even look at top ten. I mean, Patrick Mahomes sat for his whole rookie year pretty mm-hmm. much. So, you know, it might be they might be on that kind of a plan. Aaron Rodgers. And- yeah, exactly. Rodgers took a couple. Now you had Brett Favre in front of you. But, you know, Gino, the way things are going for him right now, I mean, I th- I feel like a three-year deal would take him right to the edge of, you know, or the end of Pete's um, tenure here. And then, you know, you get a guy like that in the second, third round, and you're able to – Hopefully Pete re-signs for at least one more year so he can develop a quarterback, and he's been been very successful with that. So this guy might be, you know, I went down to, it's in Mobile, right? Is it still down in Mobile, the Senior, the senior Bowl? Bowl? Pretty, pretty I sure. I believe it is, yeah. Yeah, I went one year down there, and it was just like a who's who of, you know, everybody, and there would be like these tiny little bars and you'd go in there and there would be like three NFL head coaches in there or sitting in the lobby of the hotel. It was unbelievable. And my buddy Terry Wooden, who's a scout, took me with him and, you know, kind of showed me around. And that's when I was kind of thinking about getting in back into the NFL as far as coaching goes. And yeah, it's, uh, but those guys are all at the, at the practices and they're Mm -hmm. watching that. And also they're getting professional coaching. You know, so how do they respond? I mean, how does a kid respond in drills and things like that? It's really important. So the the kids that play well in in the senior bowl and especially during the practices, that's that means a lot. Yeah, and Jake's a guy that you know has got a connection here locally. Was with the Huskies back in what 2018. Didn't really play. Would you you had his numbers up there? I think he was had 13 total attempts. Right. I'm looking at his actually at his career numbers here. So nine completions on 13 attempts, one one touchdown, one interception, and then moves on to Fresno State uh, and had a you know a big year in 21, 33 touchdowns, nine interceptions, 67.1 percent completion percentage, 
He talked about this year dealing with injury and everything, but 72% completion percentage, 20 touchdowns, three picks. Yeah. So, you know, again, you, you look at it just how does he measure up physically? Well, he's listed at 6'1", and and he just told us that's being generous. Yeah. You know, if he had the right haircut, maybe he's 6'1". So right. I guess he's probably, you know, closer to six feet or maybe 5'11", something. Who knows? But, you know, these days considered undersized. But you've had, you know, Russell's the prime example of somebody who's undersized, who's had a lot of success in his career. Kyler Murray's looked at as undersized, now hasn't had the same level of success, but yeah. played well enough to get himself a big fat contract. So he's had enough success. And yeah. I don't I don't know if the undersized quarterback is still a thing. If that's still I think if you ask a coach, yeah, they'd rather their quarterback is six three, six four, six five, maybe yeah. somewhere in there. But, but I don't know that it's an automatic no. Yeah, as much as maybe it was in years past. No, I don't think it's a barrier anymore. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, it's funny. I was sitting there in Mobile, Alabama, and found myself sitting next to Mike Martz, who was the head coach of the St. Louis Rams yeah. at the time. And you know, just having this nice, casual conversation. Next day, you go to the airport, tiny little airport there, and the same flight. There's Jack Del Rio, Ron Rivera, John Elway. I mean, it's just like this tiny little town where the entire NFL just sort of descends and, you know, is there for that week. But uh, that's a huge deal. And yeah. the fact that he played well and is MVP of that game and, you know, had good practices means a lot. All right. Coming up, Mike Petriello of MLB.com, who we had on earlier in the show, told us one thing that could be a concern for the Mariners this season. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports Station. Our thanks to Paul Leffler, voice of Fresno State, who joined us in the previous segment. If you guys missed any of that conversation, it's available for you on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Click the podcast tab. Scroll down. There are a picture. Click on that. It'll be right there waiting again after the show each and every day. What do they do after that, Lefko? Subscribe. That's right. Yeah. Good. I don't want to ask Dave. I heard him out there cursing at the coffee machine, so I know he's in a bad mood now. Uh, heard, what's funny? I heard Dave, some expletives as he was uh, out there fidgeting with the coffee machine. <laughs> well, the Technology cup. Technology and Dave. See the cup that I have here? It's too big. It looks broken. So I went to put it on there, and it, like, slipped off, and I caught it, but it went everywhere. <laughs> Of course, so you I was so I was cleaning up. I was cleaning up. It went everywhere. Do we add this to the list of appliances that have bested Wyman? Well, I didn't get hurt. That's the good news. That's, it didn't injure me. It almost how, burned you though. How many times do you think you've said that about food spill? It went everywhere. <laughs> Whether it's a drink or a food dish, or you'd have to ask my wife. Yeah, I feel she, like we hear that a lot. It went everywhere. <laughs> she's. All- <laughs> She's always like, wait, now be careful. I'm like, I'm fine. It'll, no. <laughs> She's like, told you. Yeah. Yeah, I walk by, going to the bathroom, and I see Dave out there, and I hear him, bleep, damn it. <laughs> He's out there wrestling with the machine. I was just thinking, I hope Lefko and Bob don't come around the corner. But never mind, I'll tell him anyway. I, you know? I heard it. I heard right. it. I could, I could see the frustration. So anyway, all right, moving on. Another inanimate. Who, who's the one that weighs in? Seth and Fresno, Fresno yeah. he's the, he'll, just more. He's from the Valley. He's a tough guy. Seth's a tough guy, apparently. That's where his smart-ass mentality comes from. Mormon. Oh, on Serves cue. Well. Uh, well, he he chimed in, apparently, when we had Leffler on. Just said, let's go Bulldogs. Yeah. So he's checked in. And then somebody else said, Bakersfield is an oil pit that has some roughnecks. 
Oh, yeah. Well, okay. I think they struck oil there, but uh, it's also like a big farmland area. It's kind of, yeah, it's a rough, rough area, not super scenic, pretty, pretty <laughs> flat. It's not a vacation yeah. spot. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble from people from the valley because they're tough. So, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, it, it's pretty cool that I like those little schools that kind of pop up like Gonzaga and basketball. I mean, it's just the middle of nowhere, and, you know, somebody kind of like Creighton, right? Who's the, I can't remember the coach, the basketball coach there, but, you know, he just – and it's easy to – I don't want to say it's easy, but it's more – it's easier to build a basketball team. You get two, three, four guys a year, and football's different. You know, you got to get a lot of guys, and the fact that you have uh, Levante Adams and, uh, you know – Derek Carr, the Carr brothers, and, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a lot of good NFL players. There's the, another guy named uh, Logan Mankin, I think, who was the— Oh, no, he played for the Patriots? Patriots yeah. guard, yeah, yeah, who was really, really a good player for a long time. Well, we had to cha- we had a chance to talk some baseball earlier in the show with Mike Petriello from uh, MLB.com, MLB Network, and— it touched on a bunch of different things, uh, you know, in the world of baseball, especially those obviously centered around the Mariners. And we asked him, you know, he, he had a couple of things that he pointed out as potential areas of concern for this Mariners team. There's some other places I'm not so sure about. Like, I've never been a huge fan necessarily of Crawford at shortstop. I think he's about average. For me, the biggest change is going to be in the outfield. Obviously, they made a lot of changes in the outfield. I really liked getting to Oscar Hernandez. I think that's going to be a big bat. I don't trust any of the left fielders at all. So I guess what I'm trying to say is some parts up and some parts down, and otherwise the 91 team seems about right to me again. So, I mean, it's certainly not a glowing, you know, opinion on that, but I don't think he's wrong. I mean, yeah, everybody, I haven't heard one person says, oh, Hernandez, what a terrible pickup. Everybody likes that. You love Julio in center field. Left field is a massive question mark. I have no idea what Jared Kelnick's going to provide. Mm-hmm. We're hoping. We all believe he's got the ability to be something, you know, productive at minimum and, and really good, you know, at, at best. But we haven't seen it yet, certainly not on a consistent level. And then Taylor Trammell, who, you know, you and I are co-presidents of his fan club, couldn't love the guy more. I don't I don't know if he's an everyday player in this league or not. He's yeah. He's got size. He's got speed. He certainly has talent. But is is it going to show up? I don't know. I don't. I don't know what's going to happen out there. You know, so you got a couple different options, but nobody you feel like there's your guy. There's your guy. Jared Kelnick feels like the closest thing to that, but I mean, you have no clue. You know, it's it, it kind of hurts when you have a guy who is so good defensively, and so I would throw Evan White in there too. Like if you yeah. could just give him a bat, man, and you, health. Yeah, you. It would just be yeah. And, Kelnick's been healthy, though, but not Evan White, right? Yeah, Evan's I mean, just been one injury after another. But but it's interesting, you know, what, what he said about J.P., and I, that's a guy I think, you know, look out for J.P. to possibly, you know, have like a sort of turnaround year. I mean, his first year, he was batting two fourteen when he was with Philly, you know, and he, he played in, I don't know, probably 75 games or so. But he comes here 226, next year 255, next year 273, and then – this last year, just and he doesn't really hit for power. Never really has. Doesn't steal bases. Yeah, yeah. He's not. I mean, I think a lot of people. Oh, yeah, you get speed there. No, nah, I mean, it looks like he's running fast, but I don't think he is. So nah, he's he's not a base. I think he's got very average speed, and he's he's by. I mean, I I think he may take the shortest lead of anybody on this team. Yeah. I mean, he really does. I think Cal Raleigh takes a bigger lead off first base than JP. Mm-hmm. Just is always right there. I'm always 
amazed they they try to keep him on. They throw to first base. I'm like, he literally is a step and a half off the bag. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and Cal Raleigh actually does kind of have surprise. I'd say for his size, yeah, he runs better than than you would think. But yeah, JP is an interesting one because you know his name always pops up whenever leadership is talked about mm-hmm. and how the guys look up to him. So you know, and he's he needs to have a good year. So um, I'll, I'll be rooting for him anyway. But that's you you heard from Petrello there that you know he's like oh, I'm not not a big fan of of JP he's not alone there are a lot of people especially coming off last year where he started out really hot but that didn't last very long and then it was just a struggle the rest of the year both in the field and at the plate just wasn't a good year for him and I think he got dinged up toward the end of the year he's a guy that plays a lot uh so that didn't help but it was just a down year and he's we've seen that he's capable of a lot more than what we saw last year so I'd expect that you know he's he's ripe for a bounce back but I understood people saying, hey, man, you've got a number of shortstops available out there. Maybe they move him to second. Maybe you bring in one of those shortstops. So I kind of understood that sentiment. You know, and then the Mariners, for their part, were steadfast out of the gate. You know, Jerry saying, well, our shortstop is J.P. Crawford, and our hope is we can get a shortstop who would like to play second base. Mm-hmm. Okay, I give him credit for sticking with his guy, and maybe it'll pay off. But, you know, there were a lot of people that were writing about that, talking about that, going, I don't know if that's – the soundest decision, and we'll we'll find out. The other thing that that we brought up with uh, Petriello that I look at with with Julio is your leadoff guy who did a great job as a leadoff hitter. This isn't even about what he did or didn't do there. I don't like him in the leadoff spot because I think you are really limiting what he does well, and that is a guy who mashes the ball, he hits the ball very hard, uh, and the ability to drive in runs is limited by him in that leadoff spot. Now we get people that check in and say, well, he's only leading off technically once in the game to start the game. That part's true. But when the guys that are hitting in front of him haven't been hitting, and right now the projected lineup we looked at was like JP, AJ Pollock, Kelnick. Kelnick, yeah. That was your 7, 8, 9. And unless those guys pop, you know, they have bounce back years and they're getting on base, he's very often going to be coming up with the bases empty. Mm -hmm. And that's going to allow you know, guys to pitch around him. He's not going to see the same kind of pitches he would otherwise see with somebody on base. So I think it has a trickle-down effect in terms of limiting his his potential, and that's something Petriello talked about. If he's going to lead off, so now you've guaranteed absolutely at least one time a game he comes up with the bases loaded because it's the start of the game. And Empty. then, yeah, if he's hitting after Crawford, Pollock, Kellenick, even Rally, right, who might hit number six, good power guy, but he's not a very good on-base guy. How many times are you having what we all would agree is your best hitter, Antulio Rodriguez, coming up with the bases empty? I don't love that, but I'm with you. What are the other options? You know, Crawford's not a great option. Wong, maybe, but it's it's not great. I think what's going to happen here, so I'm looking at this right now, the Fangraph's projections for next year, just for the position players, not for the pitchers. They have the Mariners overall projected at, I think, 14th or 15th best in baseball, which I think would surprise Mariners fans. It's about league average. I might take the over on that a little bit, but not by a lot. And I don't think that's what everybody expected going into this, like this is going to be our year to have an average or slightly better than average group of position players, which I think they do have. Yeah, so we'll we'll see. Those are projections, and all of that can be completely altered by Jared Kelnick having a season, J.P. Crawford bouncing back, A.J. Pollock bouncing back. But you're you're counting on, in some cases, a guy to return to form and other guys to find a form they haven't otherwise had in, yeah. in Jared Kelnick. So we'll find out. But that that 
is the problem for me with with Julio as your leadoff guy. I wish they would have gone out and found somebody that could address that leadoff spot and move him down so that you've you've got some level of certainty that there and he misspoke there in the beginning. He talked about one time you're guaranteed to come up with the bases empty is to lead the game off. But that could be a continuing problem if the guys at the bottom of the order right. aren't getting on base. So Lot, lots to look for, though. I mean, if you start with, like, Evan White, I'm talking about spring training. We're, we're heading down there. We'll be there the last week. And, you know, you got Evan White, Taylor Trammell, J.P. Crawford, uh, Jared Kelnick. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's definitely some question marks, and I'm all for, hey, man, they get better. They get better. It happens all the time. But I can also see, you know, some of the things that you've been saying. Yeah, we'll find out. In the off season that you don't have any uh, any sure answers. But, well, anyway, I, I know we got to go to break, but uh, you know we we thought we did last year with Adam Frazier mm-hmm. and and Jesse Winker. So, but uh, yeah, these will be uh, guys to keep your eye on in, in spring ball. All right, coming up, Sean Payton has arrived in Denver and he's already making some changes. We'll hear about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on seven ten. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. I thought Mark Schlereth told us something interesting when the Broncos hired Sean Payton. And he said that he's a guy who knows how to make Russell Wilson listen. And today in Denver, Payton had his first press conference and he was asked right away about how he's going to handle kind of the entourage that kind of comes with Russell Wilson. And he said he's going to be more strict in uh, everything that comes with his quarterback. How do you feel about players having their own people off the staff in the building access to players? Yeah, that's foreign to me. That That's not going to take place here. I mean, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it, but our staff will be here. Our players will be here and that'll be it. Yeah, I, I get that. Totally get that. I mean, it is entirely foreign to almost every coach. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I think that, you know, Russ probably, he made a mistake going in there with, you know, all that, you know, this is, you know, I want this and I want that and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I mean, it sounds like a lot of guys have, you know, their own trainers and stuff like that. I think Russ has a lot. And it is very, very foreign to that. But, you know, I mean, I know Jake, our guy Jake, couldn't love Jake anymore. And, you know, hopefully, I don't know if he's, it sounds like he's not going to be in the building, but, you know, he can still do all the stuff, you know, for Russ that, that he does. And I love that Russ trusts Jake because he's a very trustworthy dude. Yeah, it's what he did here in Seattle. Yeah. He wasn't in the building at VMAC. Jake wasn't outside of doing the show there. He wasn't working with Russ in the building. So he could still, I would assume, perform all of the duties, whatever those are. I'm not entirely sure what he's being asked to do out there. But he used to do a lot of the scouting of the upcoming opponents for Russ. And, you know, they'd work and focus on different aspects of it. So I assume that will continue. Uh, And I, I hope it does because, you know, Jake uprooted his family. And moved out there, so yeah, that was a big, a big uh, moment of trust for him, and and uh, hopefully, I'm sure Rush, Russ is going to be conscientious of that. But yeah. I don't quite get the venom that that some some of the texters and some of the people on Twitter have for Jake. That is wildly misplaced, well, wildly misplaced. You can be stupid. You can be mad at Russ all you want if the, if that's what makes you happy, but Jake literally is the least confrontational, almost. Least abrasive, nicest guy you could ever hope to meet. Yeah, and some of the things I see written about him, whether it's a text or Twitter, are frankly kind of embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, but th- those are random people that don't know. They're the know nothings. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, and and with 
as far as the coach goes and everything, it's okay as long as you're not – it's not conflicting with what the coaches are telling you. Right. You know, it's just extra preparation. And so – We saw yeah. with Brady. Remember his TB12 guys and, and, oh, yeah. and, you know, Belichick wasn't having it. And there was – it was a kind of a – contentious situation brewing yeah. there. And I'm sure that, that that came from that same model for Russ, but uh, I don't know, I think it was a humbling year for Russ, but uh, yeah, I mean look, I, I, anybody that's worked here in the building just loves Jake. Jake just, even though he whooped my tail as a coach when he was a uh, <laughs> high school player, but he's always been like a son to me almost. I mean, I love that kid and I just hope that yeah, like you said, he he moved his family out there, and I'm sure that Russ will will take care of him, and uh, it'll be something probably offside. Sweeping the dial at the Pro Bowl, NFL Network's Cameron Wolf was interviewing Devontae Adams, and of course, the topic of conversation turned to Aaron Rodgers and the possibility of him coming to the Raiders. Have you started recruiting Aaron Rodgers to be the new Raiders uh, quarterback? Duh. <laughs> why, why would Why would anybody not do that? I mean, 100. percent that's my guy, obviously, and wishful thinking, but we'll see what happens. What's your best recruiting pitch? Uh, that I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> the humility is staggering. Uh, isn't this? Duh. Uh, I don't know how the tampering <laughs> rules work, but he's he's uh, under contract with another team. I don't. Has he been given permission to talk to? I don't know how this works. We always hear about tampering, and you're you know some players you're not allowed to talk to or talk about. Well, his ex-teammates, certainly, and players, I'm sure, can talk to him and everything. But, yeah, as far as the NFL officials go, they can't they So can't a coach couldn't any. talk about him, I guess. But a player, I don't know. I don't well, know how that works. You could know. probably talk about him. But, like, if you're a coach or a, any kind of a, a GM or scout or whatever, you're not going to want to talk about it. You don't want anybody to know what you're thinking, right? So, yeah, it's kind of interesting how that's it's going on sort of out in the, in the public. But, yeah, like I said, it looks like, I mean, Aaron Rodgers... He mentioned at his golf tournament there, the the Raiders, and I guess Las Vegas is uh, pretty attractive to the players. Sweeping the dial. I have to imagine he was playing this up for the cameras and the fans, and this clip's a little bit tough to hear, but true Peyton Manning doesn't want to lose anything, right, especially to his brother. At the very end of the game, Kirk Cousins took a knee, and apparently you can't do that in flag football. There was something that it was supposed to be a penalty, and Manning goes out there and starts screaming at the officials because he wanted a penalty thrown in the Pro Bowl on the last play of the game. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Somebody knows a bylaw in this rule book. Peyton furious with his Pac-12 official. The intricacies of flag football being argued about by Peyton Manning. I love everything about it. I, I was just talking to you about this. I didn't even realize we had that cut. I was talking to you earlier about during a break about how competitive he was and animated and him getting lit. I think he was legitimately that. I don't think he was putting on a show. I think he was, he is hyper competitive and you saw it come out there and I love it. I thought it was hilarious, but he wasn't smiling. There were, there was a few different moments where you saw that he was agitated by something, how things were going or calls or whatever were, He's very serious, man. Look, look like he did when he was playing. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's hyper competitive. Uh, I, I think the, the Mannings are 
awesome to yeah. what what they have done and the way that they're using them. And I feel like it comes a lot from them and getting the whole family involved. Archie, remember the ESPN commercial where they were kicking each other and Archie, Archie looks at them like you boys knocked gives them that the dad off. look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, they're so genuine and. Yeah, I think I think he really was. He, you got a kind of a glimpse into who he is as a player, and also he said, "I don't want to have to hear from Eli for a <laughs> yeah, whole year." Yeah. <laughs> so good. All right, coming up, Geno Smith seems confident that a contract will get done here in Seattle. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on Seven Ten.